if you're the kid who turns in all of your research papers about serial killers, people are going to think about you when bodies start turning up. Yes, so, they will. My the kids have the cool to... costumes with those fake muscles. I, know, I love those. And the kids have, like, freaking real lightsabers now. Yeah. Man, I had a tube. <laughs> I had a tube from wrapping paper. It's the podcast topic that has me humming some John Mellencamp, born in a small town. Don't live in a small town anymore, but we're going to dive back in. Welcome. This is the Fright Club podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. Going to talk about small town horror, and that, boy, that opens up a, a, a lot of possibilities. Yes. And we'll talk about those, and we'll talk about some small town horror in books as well. What? Uh, as we get into this. But before that, let's go back to the great time we had uh, last Fright Club Live, and that was the last podcast, as we talked about cats, frightful felines. Yeah, it was super fun. It was our first Friday night. We have moved to Fridays at Gateway Film Center, and we appreciate that, and it was a lot of fun. Got to see some new faces. We did, yeah. Got to see some new faces. Got to not worry about staying up late. Right. And that was fun. I think it's going to be good. I really do. I think it's going to be good on Fridays, and uh, it was off to a good start. Well, number one, because... We finally got to show a movie that I think we've been trying to track down for quite a while and one that, as, as we've mentioned before, when we talked about this movie, and as a lot of people mentioned when we talked about it um, when we were at Gateway, it's one that a lot of people didn't see and since then, since it's been, uh, since it opened, has become kind of a cult favorite. Voices. The, the Voices. The Voices, yeah, with Ryan Reynolds and very few people at the theater had seen it, and I don't think any of them had Maybe seen it on one. a big screen. Maybe yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. So, and we always love that. In yeah. fact, Brandon Thomas pointed that out on Twitter. He said, <laughs> he said, the only thing he likes better than watching a movie for the first time on the big screen at Fry Club is seeing me absolutely vibrate with glee yeah. when so few people have seen the movie. Because really, if you go back to the beginning, that was sort of the mission statement mm-hmm. of the series, yep. which I, I think I can uh, credit Facebook memories for reminding us that we've now been... At Gateway doing Fry Club for seven years. Crazy. That is amazing. That is amazing. And then before that, it was maybe two years. We started out at two other mm-hmm. uh, theaters mm-hmm. in town before we landed at Gateway, and it seemed like such a good fit. But yeah, we've been there for seven years. God bless Gateway. Uh, and, yeah, and, and loving it. Yep. Uh, and so that was sort of the, the beginning of this, trying to bring eyeballs on movies just like The Voices mm-hmm. that people didn't see for really one reason good. or the other. Right. Really good horror movies people had missed. Yeah. Yeah, and so we had fun talking about cats. Connecting them to a topic, and this one right. was cats, uh, kind of dedicated to Velma. <laughs> Our cat. Our cat. It was nice because when you included a picture of Velma in the slideshow, when she popped up, you heard a little bit, aww. <laughs> <laughs> so that was nice. Thank you. But boy, we we always like to get it pointed out to us when we have a, when we swing and a miss and whiff on one. We had a big one right. that we didn't mention, so, a cat. So... Mainly, we talked about movies that were very cat-oriented, but we paused at first to mention some of the important individual cats in horror movies, like Church, for mm-hmm. example, from yeah. uh, Pet Cemetery. Right. Nathan Andrew pointed out that we forgot Jones. Jonesy. We forgot Jonesy from Alien. Wow. What? That's crazy. That is crazy. But he forgave us because we did mention Eye of the Cat, mm-hmm. which is streaming on f- for free on YouTube right now and is completely nuts. And he agrees. And then the other one, uh, our friend Phantom Dark Dave, he was afraid the whole podcast that we were not going to mention Night of a Thousand Cats. Come on. Also streaming for free on YouTube. And at the last minute, we did remember to at least <laughs> throw it out there. You yeah. really need to see both but of But Jonesy, those I'll tell you what, oh, hang yeah. our head in shame on that one. Yeah. That was so obvious. I know. 
And there it was. We just walked right on past. Yeah. Didn't didn't feed her or anything. Just like kept on walking. Um, so yeah, thanks for that. And speaking of cats, our fright club. We we do know. In November, we always like to have a classic. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, we've already had one here yeah, this year, haven't yeah. we? But that's okay. That's right. We got another great one coming up. Speaking of cats, yeah, and and Nathan Andrew because he's going to make a road trip. He's uh, he's uh, out in New York and he's going to make a road trip because we're going to show the Bella Lugosi Boris Karloff uh, classic, The Black Cat, which we've been talking about showing oh, yeah. for a while. Yeah, and, we and that's going to be our November. And of course, we just talked about that on the cats podcast mm -hmm. uh, but that'll be great because nathan used to be a fright club regular mm -hmm. uh then moved out to new york but uh glad glad he's gonna come back put that on the calendar for our classic in november the black cat uh but that's that's looking down the road right now we're looking at small towns and small town horror and there's a there's a big there's a, a few well more than a few to mention before we have the fuzzy math top six top five but also, there's a good reason, there's a good tie-in for this small-town horror. Whatever could it be? Well, we're going to spend a little time talking about my first novel, Roost. Yes! It's out and now. It is out now. You can get it wherever you buy your books. You can also buy, if you'd like to, one, you can get a, an autographed copy uh, on the store at madwolf.com. Mm -hmm. And then, but the other reason that we're talking about it specifically today is that the audiobook just dropped. So you can yes. also get the audiobook wherever you purchase your audiobooks. Yeah. And it's narrated by George Wolf. Somehow I passed the audition. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, my first audiobook. I, I appreciate it because I've been really wanting to get into it for a while. And this was the, uh, the, uh, the perfect time to do it. But you know what? It's a lot of work, too. I give oh, uh, sure. the audiobook narrators a lot of credit because it is a lot of work. And there's a lot of. Rightly so. There's a lot of qualifications. There's a lot of specifications, I should say, that you have to stick to. And I get that, mm -hmm. uh, working in, in audio. So, yeah, glad that uh, we passed all the all the rules and regulations and it's out there. So if you want an audio book, we'd love to have you listen. Uh, so when you recorded it, I mean, did there, I mean, you'd read it. You'd read mm -hmm. different drafts of it. But yeah. as you recorded it and just sort of read it out loud, what, what struck you about it? Um, well, considering that I know some of the people that uh, very well in your family that it's based on, I had to <laughs> chuckle to myself uh, some, sometimes and keep that, you know, just to myself. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I love the way, because I also grew up in a small town, right. as did you, so I, I really identified with that. And I think a lot of people will identify with it that uh, grew up or maybe are in and around these small towns, especially in the Midwest. Sure. And I will say that I don't think everyone is ready for the ending. Um, <laughs> you know, well, we've already heard that. Yeah, we we've have. already heard that. Yeah. What well, I, I guess it's that surprised me, uh, the sort of reaction to that from I, I didn't realize it would be such a surprise. It seemed kind of like a natural way for things to end well, to me. Um, but it I is, liked it. I'm glad. But not everybody. Well, I don't want to go too far and spoil anything. Right. I'm just saying, not everybody's ready for it. That's right. all I'm saying. It's um, but it, but it is the you know, it's really inspired by growing up in a small town. Mm -hmm. And my my hometown is is as you know, it's um like your hometown sits right at the intersection of two major highways. My hometown is like an island in yep. the middle of a sea of corn. Yep. You know, you have to drive through fields in every direction to get to a town of any size. Right. Uh, when you leave my hometown. That's it's... why I always gave mine the edge, because it was easier to get out. <laughs> <laughs> and but, then, uh, but no, you're, that makes yours creepier, though. It does. I think so. I mean, I certainly thought so when I lived there. And, you know, and that really informs a lot about it. And as you said, I mean, most of it is also inspired by my family. There's a, a, a central family. is a set of twins and two older sisters and parents who live in this small town. Irish Catholic 
uh, strong-willed, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and uh, clearly very inspired by my own family. And um, and just, you know, the you know, I grew up during the time of the satanic panic, which mm-hmm. really, I don't know how many uh, people or cities across the country that, that it took hold as strongly as it did in my hometown because yeah. our sheriff would go on like Geraldo in different TV shows. He was kind of a self-proclaimed expert on the occult. He was not by any stretch. Self-proclaimed. Actu- yeah, he, was, is, yeah. he, was, he was by no means an actual expert on the occult, and it had quite an influence over just, yeah. you know, the ins and outs of our daily existence. Oh, yeah, I remember it, it well. It didn't occur to me how odd that was until I was sort of out of it for many years, and you look back on the stories that you tell about your own childhood and think, yeah, those are weird. So that was really what kind of influenced the other thing I liked about the book, reading it and and narrating it, was it's so dialogue-driven. And I think the dialogue is authentic, and, and people will appreciate that as well. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, so whichever way you'd like to get it, you want to read it, great. You want to listen to it, great. It's all out there, and it's called Roost. So please enjoy. So that gets us into the small-town horror that we're talking about on the big screen. We've got six, but there's a bunch you've got down here, at least, that are worth a mention. And I, and I agree, they all are worth a mention. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of Stephen King, of course, takes place in these small New England towns, The Mist, Children of the Corn, and then you can go to the Southwest for Tremors. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then there's there's Dead and Buried, The Fog, The Birds, The Blob, which almost made the list, We Are Still Here, Something Wicked This Way Comes, that also is very close to making the list. And even though, and and uh, The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was one that I thought of late. <laughs> Jim Cummings, that's a, nice. that's a really, really fun one. That was There are fun. a couple of others that we'll talk sort of embedded within this conversation, but then there are the one, and it's probably, it's one of the less sort of superior films on that list that I just mentioned, but the one I really wanted to include was Brotherhood of Satan, because... It reminds me of Tiffin because I used <laughs> Tiffin, Ohio, your Tiffin, hometown. Ohio, my yeah. hometown. Because I, for many years and still occasionally, I dream. I, when I dream, I'm in Tiffin and I cannot physically leave. I run or I drive or whatever I do. I might, and either something stops me, some hang up, some obstacle, some issue, and I can't, you know, or just physically, I cannot find the way out of the town, which is more or less the plot of. Brotherhood of Satan. And so the first, it's not really very scary, but I remember the first time I saw it as a kid thinking, because it was so close to nightmares that I had, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't actually make the list, but I definitely wanted to give it a shout out. Okay, before Tiffin becomes known as the birthplace of best-selling author Hope Madden, <laughs> what's what's the claim to fame? Can you think of anything quickly? Tiffin, Ohio, known Ball for- rights. Ball rights. Ball rights potato, potato chips. chips. Okay. Yep. And also American Standard Toilets, That's right. right. They yeah. are also, yeah, they're okay. from Tiffin. Well, I'm from Cambridge, Ohio. I would say the claim to fame is birthplace of John Glenn. Yes, that's That's, that's a biggie. Bigger. Yeah. That is a biggie. All right. Well, let's get to some of these fictional uh, small towns and their horrific events that we're going to uh, count down. Yeah, it's been a while since we had a top six, right? It has Top been. six, top five. So let's do that. Lots of good small towns. And this one uh, will start at number six, 2016, not too, not too long ago. In a small Midwestern town, a troubled teen with homicidal tendencies must hunt down and destroy a supernatural killer while keeping his own inner demons at bay. It's I am not a serial killer. A killer has struck, leaving a dead body in a terrified town in his wake. Takes the lungs, takes the kidney. What next? I need to do normal stuff right now. I'm breaking all my rules. I can't imagine what you must be going through. I'm on the edge and I'm falling. Ted Bundy said that after you killed somebody, if you had enough time with them... Shut up! Shut up! 
They could be whoever you wanted them to be. You're weird, man. Well, I remember when this one came out, one of the first things I thought of, it was great to see the kid from where the Wild Things Are. Yes. His name is Max Records, which is a great name, by the way. And he was so great in Where the Wild Things Are. And then you wonder, okay, where's he at? Here he is, growing up a little bit. Yeah, and actually that was, you know, it was funny. Uh, that movie is so perfect, Where the Wild Things Are. It yeah. is such an absolute masterpiece. Yeah. And so immediately I just thought, I don't want anything bad to happen to this kid. Like it was such, <laughs> yeah. just for me personally, it was such yeah. a way to break my heart. He's so good. Uh, and it's funny because his name is John Wayne Cleaver. And we, go to IMDb and just look at the character names throughout this movie. They're, yeah. they're pretty funny. Very and good. he has this lovely rapport with this old man who lives nearby named Mr. Crowley, <laughs> played by yeah. Christopher Lloyd. You know, and Christopher Lloyd actually gets a writing credit on this movie as well. Yeah. Which was great to see. It's it's a it because it's a great part and it's an incredible performance. Lloyd's performance throughout this movie. It's it's really easily the best part he's had in decades. And one of the things that I was looking for and kind of determining the list, because there are a lot of horror films that just take place in a small town, but to make the list, the fact that it's a small town has to be sort of integral to the plot. And one of the reasons that that happens, well, in a lot of the movies, it's the reason that it's so important is that it's also a very small police department that's easily overwhelmed. Yeah, that but helps. that's not necessarily the case here. Mm-hmm. It's the idea of uh, an outsider, somebody who is so quickly and completely an outsider, which doesn't happen as much in a big urban setting because so many people are anonymous. But in a small town where everybody knows everybody, if you're the kid who turns in all of your research papers about serial killers, and that seems to be the only thing that you can hold a conversation about, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. your mom is the town mortician, oh, well, people are going to think about you when bodies start turning up. Yes, so, they will. It's just such a good movie. And we were talking about Max Records. Uh, it's interesting that Dan Wells, who wrote the novel that this is based on, also gets a writing credit. He called the director, Billy O'Brien, after he saw where the wild things are, and said that uh, he thought that that kid would be perfect, and O'Brien O'Brien agreed to look into it. But before he even could, one of the producers emailed him and said that he had a kid that would be perfect, and it was the same guy. Oh, you know, <laughs> wow! Max Records, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, he was perfect. He they was perfect correct. for it. Yeah. And it's it's, it's interesting because um, Billy O'Brien also wrote and directed Isolation, which mm. we showed one time at Fright Club Live, mm-hmm. uh, an Irish film. That is also, it's not exactly a small time, it's very, very rural, in fact, the film Isolation. But it's got, he he develops that same sort of nobody-can-help-me situation mm-hmm. in the two films and does it really well. And another interesting thing is that the shots of um, Christopher Lloyd exercising, mm-hmm. that was his actual exercise routine. <laughs> uh, they were noted that noticed by the director, Billy O'Brien, and he thought that the movements were so robotic that that would be great to film it, and so they worked their way into into the movie. And it, it sort it sort of um, goes along with what we we think of Christopher Lloyd, yeah, the kind of person that he that he would be, what kind of fit in that he has that sort of workout routine. But uh, yeah, it really strikes a, a great atmosphere of that small town. And yeah, I'm really looking forward. I hope Max Records. He's been flying under the radar, yeah. you know, and I'm looking forward to seeing more from him. Yep. Uh, but this has been a few years, 2016. Number six on our list of small-town horror, I Am Not a Serial Killer. Moving up to number five, this is one, ah, boy, I don't know if we've have we ever talked about this. I don't know. If we have, mm-hmm. it's not much. 2007, after an Alaskan town is plunged into darkness for a month, it is attacked by a bloodthirsty gang of vampires. It's 30 days of night. Board the windows. Try to hide. 
They're coming. They? Who are they? through everyone's home. We can last the month. This is one of those that I remember we said it when it first came out. You're like, why didn't we think of this? Oh my God, It's genius. vampires. Why wouldn't vampires go to where it's dark all the time? What, are they going to be cold? Of I don't course. think they are. Yeah, no, it was absolutely brilliant. And it was it was so well put together and well directed by David Slade, who had done Hard Candy. A very different oh, film, yeah. but a really well Hard directed candy, movie. Yeah. And um, the first issue that I had, I worried about, was that Josh Hartnett was the lead. He's not a... <laughs> firecracker that guy but he doesn't do a terrible job no he doesn't no and he is surrounded by a really really solid cast in particular ben Danny houston and ben foster oh yeah ben foster that was strange really before we knew how great ben foster was i think this is early on it was pretty early yeah, yeah. but oh danny houston always glad to see him oh yeah he was so good he was so good, but I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the townsfolk were great. Mark Boone Jr. as Bo, always, yeah, he's always been everything. <laughs> yeah. It's really well told the way they start by just little by little, systematically cutting the town off even more than it already is. Right there, are no flights in or out, and it's cold, obviously. Mm-hmm. So you're not spending a lot of time outside because it's also dark. And then they just, you know, the the vampires little by little just cut off all touch with the outside world and then pray. And yeah. it's, I mean, there are certain scenes in this movie that are absolutely terrifyingly perfectly made. And that's why it's so pivotal that it's a small town. Yes. Easier to cut Absolutely. off. Absolutely. Yeah, and easier to just have them have them sitting ducks. Yeah, so that that comes in into play. And it's a movie that uh, well, Steve Niles conceived it originally as a film, but it got rejected over and over again, which is amazing. That's crazy. Because it just seems like such a natural idea. So he re- reworked it into a comic book, and then one of the studios that rejected the original screenplay went for the comic book version. So it finally it finally made the uh, made the big screen. But yeah, it was was effective, and it just adds to the the fact that you're you're cut off that feeling of isolation, but yeah. al- also that it's always dark yeah. because, of course, that's going to be even scarier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean they they do so many things so right with this movie. It's it's a lot a lot of fun. And it has a Wilhelm scream after a man is thrown off a metal roof by a vampire. What else are you going to do but put a thrown off a metal roof that calls for a Wilhelm scream? And I know a lot of Salem's Lot fans are going to point out that it has a lot of similarities, a lot of plot points to Salem's Lot. So, yes, well noted, I guess. There are a couple. uh, I mean, this is the first one of the bunch that is has a lot to do with an overwhelmed police force. Mm hmm. And uh, there are a couple that didn't make the list that could have that I just want to po- that I want to point out. In okay. fact, I'm wearing the T-shirt right now. Oh yeah, accidentally for <laughs> one, the dead don't die. Nice. And it's you know you, you it couldn't have happened in a, a town with a bigger police force. It mm-hmm. couldn't have happened in like a big metropolis. It has to happen in this small town, and it's hilarious. Ghouls. Not everybody loved it. We loved it. Oh, I think that's being polite. Not everybody loved it. Yeah. Uh, but we we showed it. We showed it at oh, Fright Club. We got we the, had premiere. the premiere. We did. Yeah. We had the premiere of it at so Fright Club. Excited. Everybody loved it at Fright Club. 
Do you think? Or were they being polite? I don't know. I mean, there was a lot of uh, quoting uh, back and forth afterwards. I know some people loved it, but it's one of those that if it's, if it, well, it's like me talking about Taika Waititi. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't hit me. Yeah. You know, if you it's don't get that. It's very much a Jim yeah, Jarmusch comedy. If you don't get that Jim Jarmusch vibe, it is going to, you're just going to sit there going, this is so boring. So I do get it because I've been on the other end of that where everybody loves Waititi and, and I really don't. And that's okay, but yeah, Dead Don't Die is so well, much I, fun. Well, as you know, Jim Jarmusch is, is yeah. in my top three all-time favorite filmmakers. But so. Dead Don't Die is so much fun. And then the other one, which was another, actually, now that I think about it, uh, Fright Club premiere, we got Werewolves Within. We got to premiere yeah. Werewolves Within, which is another overwhelmed police force, small town, super fun. A I lot just of wanted fun. To, I wanted to just toss out some love for those two. Oh, yeah, and well-deserved love. So uh, number five, 30 Days of Night, one of those, just why didn't I think of that <laughs> ideas? But uh, yeah, that's a fun one. 2007, number five. All right, moving it up to uh, number four. We've certainly talked about this before uh, for good reason. In the summer of 1989, a group of bullied kids band together to destroy a shape-shifting monster, which disguises itself as a clown and preys on the children of Derry, their small main town. It. We all float down here. I saw something. There was this... Come with me, you'll float too. You'll float too. You'll float too. You'll float too. Well, I think it's pretty obvious why we included this. Well, the original it was TV mm-hmm. and not uh, not the big screen, and it part one is so much better than it part two. Yes, and I mean it, it seemed uh, uh, clearly Stephen King was going to make his way onto this at one point oh, or yeah. another because yeah. so much so much of what he wrote. Um, and filmed had to do with small towns and small town life. And, you know, this this I, I particularly I really like the way <clears throat> the story was updated. Oh, yeah. Uh, to, you know, set in the 1980s where mm-hmm. the kids stuff was set in the 1980s. I think that really kind of Agreed. brought home a little bit. I think one of the things that the the movie really benefits from is in, in changing the time period. There was reason to change all of the dialogue. And, you know, I don't want Stephen King fans to smack me, but I, I personally think that a lot of times his dialogue doesn't come off as very authentic. Mm-hmm. So I think that it, it, it really served, uh, served it well to move the time period. Also, this cast was incredible. Bill Skarsgård, first of all, Pennywise. Who wanted that job? I know. Right? Those are I big know. clown shoes to fill. Because, very big. Because, he did a great uh, job. Yeah, he did. He did do a great job. The other thing is it's, I think, that, you know, it can be really hard to assemble a very talented group of kids a lot of tips for the movie, the 80s, they would just not have very talented kids. That's not the case here. Jaden Martell and Sophia Lillis and Finn Wolfhard, Jeremy Ray Taylor, Chosen Jacobs, all these kids. They were so good. They were all good. great. They were so great. And I think not only, I think maybe the the overwhelmed police force part of uh, a small town is less important here. Sure. I think what's more important is the authenticity that comes with a, a close-knit group of friends in a small town. Yeah. Not that you can't make friends in a big city, but, right. but it just seems like it's, it seems a little more uh, real to have that group that's just in your neighborhood and they can ride down the street to their bikes and see each other and they're all right there. Yep. So I think that's part of it. And, and also the fact that a, a legend grows mm-hmm. maybe, maybe quicker in a in a small town yeah because everybody sort of knows each other and they know what the other people are doing and they gossip and things like that so i think those two factors really fed in to to the the fact that it's a, a the small town aspect of this is so effective yeah i think you're right i think you're totally right you know uh and and that 
that this circus came here in the first place. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's something about it, a little bit like uh, something wicked this way comes. There's something about, and, and you know, a little bit like the vampires, too. It, there's a, an evil presence that is preying on mm-hmm. this little group of people yeah. that, that doesn't have, you know, the big outside forces to sort of make it seem less important. Yeah. And then... As the story moves along, if we, if we want to, I know we, we really just picked part one here, but part two, it becomes a, an integral part of the story, too, because they're coming back. They've left. Well, except one. Yeah. They've left, and then they're coming back to their small town, so that makes it an even deepens the thread, I guess, of the small town horror. Right. But this is so, it's so well done. I was surprised, really. Coming into it, I had... Coming into it, I had remember I had remembered liking part one of the TV version, mm-hmm. and not too much about part two. Sure, but yeah, the updating of it I thought was just great and scary. It was very it was scary. scary. It definitely was scary. Yeah, I thought it was so well done. Still do, and and again, much like the TV version for us, the the second part was a bit of a disappointment. Oh, for because sure. Because this one set really a high bar. I thought, oh man, yeah, I couldn't wait yeah. for part two because I thought, boy, if they did such a good job. Updating part one, I was really looking forward to part two, and I, uh, it wasn't wasn't quite there. But this this part one was really really effective, and 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 small town is a big a big part of it. Like you said, Stephen King is all about that, so it's not surprising. From 2017, it part one is number four. Uh, moving up to number three, foreign film that we've talked about and have tried to to uh, spread the gospel of because it is so effective. From 2016, soon after a stranger arrives in a little village. A mysterious sickness starts spreading. A policeman drawn into the incident is forced to solve the mystery in order to save his daughter. This is the Wailing. So good. And I will say, if you haven't seen it, it is two and a half hours long, but don't let that dissuade you. No, don't watch because it. it it sucks you in. It and, really does. And it's one of those where you figure at the end you're like, Well, I didn't that didn't seem like two and a half hours at all. No. And you know, I mean it has it it's so much going on, but it's got this sort of languid pace. I mean, yeah. it just tricks you all over the place. It does. And the the characters are so incredibly lovable and stupid you know i mean that's <laughs> yeah, one of the are. things you know this is one where the police department is overwhelmed yeah. and not very good at their jobs but not you still care about them and 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 there's all some of the bumbling all of the characters are so complicated in this film but it just makes for such a wonderful story yeah there's there's some bumbling humor to the cops here and according to the director na hong jin uh, the movie was made on the basis of folk religions in Korea and Nepal and on Catholic faiths. So I think that checks out. Yeah, it absolutely does. Yeah, I mean, I love the way the film braids together all of these different horror elements. Um, and, and I think it's one of the reasons that it it's just constantly surprising. You mm-hmm. you It's not as if you... You don't feel confused. It's not like you don't know where it's going, but it just constantly surprises you the direction the movie takes. Yeah, and it's it also mentions either directly or indirectly at some point all the biblical sins. I mean, there, there's there's some really <laughs> some really deep themes going on. Some oh, sure. some more more subtle than others. And also, I love that you know uh, basing it on on folk religions and and folk uh, customs. 
Uh, there's a white woman that collects upper body belongings from villagers to protect them. And then the Japanese man collects the lower body, be- the lower belongings, like shoes, to put a curse on them. Yeah. So these these pushing and pulling, you know, the contrasting the contrasting uh, aspects of folk tales and religions is fascinating. It really is. Yeah. And and at the center of it is this performance by Kwok Do Wan, who plays Jong Gu, who's who's a bumbling idiot. But so lovable and trying so hard. And the, the more things get out of his control, the more desperate he, he, you can just see it on his face. He wants so badly to understand what's going on. He's great. And it's such an interesting vehicle for the audience because mm-hmm. you also don't. And usually, and that often happens, you know, you are puzzling things out with the lead character. But because the lead character is sort of dumb, it makes you feel <laughs> like you're sort of dumb. You know, and it's a very interesting oh, he, point of view to yeah, take. Yeah, he is. He's both sympathetic and empathetic, yeah, I guess, because yeah. of that. And you'll also recognize the face June Kunimura, who's been in a thousand movies oh, yeah. as a Japanese man. I just saw him. He was in that uh, Minima- Minamata oh, that right. I just reviewed. He's in that, too. He's in so many movies, and he's a that guy if yeah. there ever was one. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's such a it's such a tale that brings you in to the town, and you yeah. make you feel like you're not not really a fly in the wall so much as that you're just, you're just part of the town, yeah. I guess, uh, and where it's going. It really is. It's one of those that we, we've mentioned many times about uh, on this podcast and the other one, our other one, uh, The Screening Room. We talk about movies in general that a, an hour and a half movie can seem like three hours, but a two and a half hour movie like this can seem like an hour if it's paced so well and right. told so well. Right. And that's one he, that's uh, the case here. So if you want to check it out and you notice that running time, don't let it scare you off because this one is really effective. Uh, 2016, The Wailing, number three on our list of small town horror. Moving it up to number two, a classic. You had to know this was going to be here. 15 years after murdering his sister on Halloween night in 63, Michael Myers escapes from a mental hospital and returns to the small town of Haddonfield, Illinois, to kill again the original Halloween. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Can't not have it. Can't not have it. Can't not have it. I mean, it's a masterpiece of small town horror. It's probably the one most known for it. Uh, John Carpenter, he did something in going out of his way to exploit the idea of the small town, Mm -hmm. of of not like rural isolation like the others or something like that, but actually just put you in what in any other movie would be wholesome and, and turning that against itself in a way so visually stunning yeah, and I think again beyond talking about just how because we've we've obviously talked about this movie a lot, so we want to just focus on the small town aspect sure. here and beyond the the police force again, which is always important. The overwhelmed yeah. police force. I think one of the things that comes into play here is around the the aspect of Halloween and think thinking how much differently Halloween is done in small towns that, than in big cities. Oh, sure. Yeah, and this is perfect, perfect for that because. You know, everybody lives in close proximity to each other. They're running from house to house. They know people. They're babysitting over here. And then, oh, I'll just go over to your house and blah, 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 blah. And it's more, well, especially back in the 70s, it's more, I think, liable that they're going to hear something or see something out of the order and not think anything about it. They think, oh, it's a small town. Nothing ever happens here. Oh, it's it's whatever it is. Sure. So all that feeds into the, 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 uh, the, the makes this so effective that it is set in a small town. 
Yeah, and that there's always that one house that's sort of the cursed haunted house. Yeah. <laughs> and they really exploit that beautifully in this film as well, just to have that one house that you're afraid to even go up on the steps of. And, yeah. And then it turns out to be good reason. It's a good reason that you shouldn't go up on the steps there. The way the police even just sort of brush off, oh, somebody broke into the hardware store. Who do you think it is? Right. I mean, they stole a mask and some, you know, oh, well, no, they stole some creepy stuff if you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then when Loomis starts coming around and trying to warn people, I think that too is maybe more of a of a small town trait maybe to especially back in the 70s just kind of just pass it off is like you know it's not really that yeah that's not much of a di- right right that's not gonna happen here you know it's you and your big highfalutin theories <laughs> from your big school right. you know no that's not happening here yeah and it's it's and it creates it not only through through a story through the through the script but but visually oh absolutely yeah there's man, no question about it. the aesthetic has been copied so many times and with good reason it's so iconic now yeah just you know the the hedges and the side of the yard mm-hmm. and just the big wide streets with leaves that were shipped in from elsewhere just <laughs> blowing down the road i mean the the way that he that carpenter established the small towniness of this town never felt hokey or forced it just oh, seemed no. quite authentic and, yeah, very and much. really beautiful yeah and it's become especially for people that you know lived it and during that time it's become quite a time stamp yeah not just in cinema but yeah yeah that looks yeah that was small town late 1970s you bet it was it was definitely mine it was probably yours you know that was <laughs> the way that halloween night looked right back then uh, it was always dark very dark i know the tendency is to romanticize those things but i, I remember it being pitch black and, <laughs> and we had to carry those little Oh, those little, you'd get the lights that, that had a, either a pumpkin on the end or a little ghost face, you know, <laughs> that was so cool if you had this light just to carry around on uh, on Halloween night. But yeah, it was all so, so authentic. And I think it's such an integral, maybe more with this movie than any that were on this list. It's so integral to the success of the stories that it is in a small town. Yeah, I think mainly because what he what he did was to... Make small towns creepy. Make what's wholesome suddenly creepy. Yeah. And then it was ever since then, ever after then, the idea of walking by yourself in a small town down a dark street in a little, which which mm-hmm. prior to 1979 was seen as sort of the, that's how you know you're safe. And, yeah. and after yeah. Halloween, that's how you know you're not. Yeah. Amen. So when you were a kid trick-or-treating, what was your favorite costume that you had? I think it was... The Incredible Hulk. Nice. I was the Incredible Hulk. All right. Was it one of those those store bought ones? Yes, of course it was. Okay. Yeah. Although we did we did a lot of years. My parents had this big trunk in their kitchen in their kitchen in their bedroom where I'm the youngest of six, and so they had like just clothes from over the ages that uh-huh. they kept in there that they thought would make good Halloween costumes. And so a lot of times we wore our older siblings' clothes and just turned into whatever my dad thought would be a good Halloween costume. But the the one that was popular year after year was a graduation gown that happened to have a hood. So it was a black, shiny. Ooh. I know. And it was like a pointy hood. So it was a perfect Grim nice. Reaper. So we use that a lot. Now, your Hulk costume, that couldn't have been one of the cool ones that are now have like padded muscles. No, no, not at all. It Man. just had. And it was the kind, it was like the, you know, with the eyes cut out and like mm-hmm. the rubber string oh, yeah. around the oh, yeah. back of the face. It was like that. But I know. The kids today, man. I have, had to really argue to get it. My the parents kids have didn't the want cool me to... costumes with those fake muscles. I, know, I love those. Oh, my and, God. Hulk hands. How and, much would I have loved Hulk oh, hands? Oh, the Hulk hands. And the kids have like 
freaking real lightsabers now. Yeah. Man, I had a tube. <laughs> I had a tube from wrapping paper. <laughs> that had, that had uh, but you know, also known as a doot to do. <laughs> but you know what my my favorite costume was when I was a kid. Tell me, Evil Knievel, That's man. That's right. I had the Evil Knievel suit, <laughs> the full suit, you know, that was just paper thin, you know, like five bucks at, at Kmart or whatever. And I had the same type of mask. Sure. It was Evil Knievel face that looked nothing like him, but it had the you know the rubber band around, and my head was so big it broke. And I had, <laughs> Have to staple it, but uh, those are our horrific memories of Halloween. <laughs> so we're get off the uh, off the the topic there a little bit. But yeah, number two on our list from Small Town Horror, the original Halloween from '78. So you're thinking, what the heck could beat that? Well, let me tell you, this one from 1975, when a killer shark unleashes chaos on a beach community off Cape Cod. It's up to a local sheriff, a marine biologist, and an old seafarer to hunt the beast down. Of course, it's Jaws. There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. You're going to need a bigger boat. None of man's fantasies of evil can compare with the reality of jaws. This is not one you always think of as a small-town horror, obviously, because you're mainly thinking about the water. Yep. But the truth is that it's it's Brody's story. Amity. And, and Right. And none of this would have happened on a, in a sizable city because the mayor wouldn't have been allowed to do everything he did in this little <laughs> island community. He was a bad mayor. He was. And you would think that, along with that, the, the summer dollars yeah. would not be as... Important. They'd still be important. Yeah, but, but not like this, this town yeah. lived and mm-hmm. died on those summer dollars. So you know, you can bet those beaches will be open. Going right. to be one of the best summers we've ever had. That's right. <laughs> you know, and that's his. The whole reason he came there was because you know one yeah, man can make away. a difference. Exactly. Right. He wanted to get away from the big city where yep. he just couldn't feel like he was making a difference. He wanted his family to be safe. Mm-hmm. Well, and Amity, not. you say yad. Yeah, and so he wanted yeah away from New York, the mm-hmm. big city. Mm-hmm. Came there specifically. Mm-hmm. So that's Brody's. Brody's arc, and and I, I get it. I, I agree, it's Brody's story. But then let's throw in what big city is going to have Quint. You've got <laughs> Quint as the local legend. Yep. You know, people telling stories about Quint. They're scared of Quint. You know, they move away when he comes in when Quint's talking because he's kind of a, a scary guy. So sure. what a big city is going to have is going to have him. Right. No, and, I think you're right. I mean, he is. He he's a huge figure in that in that small community. But I think Hooper. Because Hooper represents everything that isn't mm-hmm. Amity, right? right? The and, outsider. Uh, yep, he's the outsider. And that's the outsider is always an important character in any kind of a small town set story. Well, in a way, Brody, is a, he's an outsider too. Because remember, the one woman tells oh, yeah. Mrs. Brody, you're not. You're not. Unless you were born here, yeah. you're still sort of an outsider. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's all about the, the closing ranks on, on the small town. And why it was so important for them to get rid of the threat because, yeah, they had to, when they finally got the the mayor to sign the papers, uh, they had to go and get this threat out so they could have those summer dollars. Yeah, it's it's a hugely important aspect of the story. And it's one that's easy to overlook because, obviously, what you're paying attention to is in the water, Mm -hmm. you know? But I just think that you, it doesn't work. And one of the reasons I think it, it didn't work so well on, in the, you know, the successive film, certainly four and three and but it is because it loses that that heart of what's on the island that they're trying to save in the first place mm-hmm. and the fact that as as hooper points out the setting this particular setting makes it 
so rare for a great white shark sure. to be terrorizing them. You know, I'm no marine biologist or anything, but I, I do believe that was a part of the the shark story that did hold true. And I know they took a lot of liberties with the behavior of sharks to, to make it scary. But the fact that that is not something you equate with a, a Cape Cod type of uh, type of vacation area is to all these great white sharks. So that made it that made it even more horrific as well. Uh, and this idyllic, you know, Amity was set up to be this just idyllic little community. Right. You know, nothing, no threats like this could ever, you know, harm that, especially in the summertime. And and it's sort of like this this pure, pristine environment just punctured by this this savage, bloodthirsty beast. Right. It's also just a great movie. It's a great movie. So here's one we've talked about a lot. What, Jaws? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so great. It's so it is great. just so great. You can watch it. It can it can pop up on on cable, and it's one that you're always just. Uh, we do. I mean, yeah, how many? We just people, leave it on. How many people scroll past it? I mean, you got to have something really <laughs> serious to watch. The new Stranger Things or something. <laughs> if you're going to scroll past the Jaws, because it's so great, and that's why it was so disappointing this past July Fourth, where theaters weren't permitted to show it, because I it's know. it's become sort of a a tradition now. It, absolutely. Over the last few yeah. years. Certainly sh- here in Columbus. Oh yeah, you, all- we go. You go yeah. to the theater and watch Jaws Fourth of July weekend. Well, that's how you saw it on the big screen, right? I mean, obviously, I'd seen it a million times, but, but I had never screen. seen it on the big screen. And then yeah. many years ago, uh, Gateway Film Center started yeah. their annual tradition yeah. of of showing Jaws on the big screen. That was the first time I saw it. Yeah. You'd see it on the big screen. Oh, before, many, many, many times. <laughs> and I think that's become a tradition uh, around uh, around the country in a lot mm-hmm. of different theaters. So, man, I hope they get that sorted out because it's always a blast to see it on the big screen. But while you're waiting, we should point out that we were part of that collective fan-made Jaws movie <laughs> by our friend Dustin Meadows a few years ago. He put together, the, he got the word out for people to volunteer to film however they wanted to film it. Could be animation, could be stick figures, whatever, to film specific scenes. And then he edited them all together and made this uh, fan-made Jaws film, which you can see for free on YouTube. And uh, we get the scene where they go out on the boat and uh, where Brody and Hooper go out and find Ben Gardner's boat. That's our scene. I'll tell you what, I will add it to the blog. Oh, nice. Uh, so it'll you'll be able to find it in the blog that accompanies this podcast on madwolf.com. And, and you'll be just amazed at the authenticity of our seafaring adventure. Like, those, yes. aren't, those aren't trees at all. That's water. <laughs> <laughs> but at least we found a boat. We did. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's great. Put that on the blog and check it out. So that was a lot of fun. But, yeah, man, Amity. And Jaws, number one on our list of small-town horror. But what do you think? Do you think uh, Halloween should be number one? I'm sure a case could be made for that. Oh, you, sure. You can argue with it. Uh, let's do that. Let's keep the it's conversation going. not going to get going. anywhere to argue with me about it, but you can. But we can always keep the conversation going. We love to. You can find us uh, easily on Twitter, at Fright Club Pod. Also, uh, this is on my mind now. I've been forgetting about the Fright Club Podcast group on Facebook, but just not not 30 minutes ago or so before we started this, there was a request to join, nice. and boom, approved. So uh, we have a lot of fun inside that Fright Club podcast group on Facebook. So just find that and uh, and request to join. You'll be in. So a lot of ways to contact us. Of course, you can always find us on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus and the main website where you can find all of our written movie reviews and a bunch of other fun. Our other podcast, which I already kind of alluded to earlier, uh, called The Screening Room, which is out every week. Uh, reviewing all the new releases. You can find that all at madwolf.com. You know what else you can find at madwolf.com? What can you find? Roost. Roost. 
the book and now the audio book talking about small town horror. Some of it may be true, maybe based on true <laughs> events, definitely based on true people. Yeah, I can tell you that. A lot of it is based on true events, yeah. actually. Yeah, very cool. Uh, yeah, Roos looked that up as well. So we look forward to hearing from you. We already talked about what's coming for Fright Club Live as we have moved to Fridays uh, coming up. What else is coming up in the future for the Fright Clubbers? Well, the very next Fright Club Live, August 12th, we are going to, we get to be a oh, part. Oh, that's right. We only mentioned November. That's we didn't right. talk about August, no. right? No, so we get to be a part of, Gateway Film Center is doing, I think, the country's first A24. It is, yeah. Uh, um, retrospective. Fantastic. They are showing 50 films from that studio, from A24, and we get to ha- to participate. So our August and September Fright Club Lives are going to be A24 films. Nice. So in August, we're going to show In Fabric. So cool. I love Peter Strickland, as do you. I mean, we love this guy. Well, he's this, nuts. This is perfect, great. too. This fits into that theme that uh, being a movie that a lot of people probably didn't see. Right. At least on the big screen, for oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, for so this, sure. And it was, it's so much fun. Yeah, it's so, it's super fun. I love this movie. We're going to talk about clothes that will kill you. I, I keep wanting to call it Dress to Kill, but that will only confuse people. <laughs> clothes that will kill you. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, the A24 retrospective, it is. It is the country's first, Mm -hmm. and it starts August 4th at Gateway Films. With the premiere of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Yes. So we have to get to that. Exactly. So this is going to be great. So if you're in the area at at all, please uh, make it a point to come out to Gateway Film Center. And by the way, you can find on our Facebook page at Mad Wolf Columbus, I wrote a story about this retrospective for Columbus Underground here in town and talked to Chris Hamill at Gateway and got the whole the whole um, story behind it and how his, the idea for it really even surprised, according to Chris, really even surprised the A24 folks. <laughs> so it definitely is the first. So you can find that uh, always at Mad Wolf on Facebook. So a lot going on. Fright Club Live back to Fridays. We talked about that. So if you can make it August 12th, we'd love to see you. Uh, in the meantime, keep in touch. Be well. What do you think? Small town horror. Roost is out. Man, did we cover it all? I think we did. A lot of bases to cover. I think we did it. All right, so until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. And stay frightful, my friends.